Ooh, there we go. Now let's put a, you know what? Then let me, there we are. How about that, everybody? Hi, hi, welcome, everyone. Or do we want to go with this one? Nah, I'll stick with this one for now, for today. How are you doing, everyone? Welcome. My name is Luke Thomas. This is episode 171 of my live chat. I appreciate you joining me uh, today on the docket. I think we're going to put a bow on all things UFC 293, which is yet, what is it, five days past, <clears throat> still kind of dominating headlines. Understandably, though, right? It was a, it was a big and momentous uh, occasion. So we can get to that and really whatever else is on your mind. Um, yeah, we got a lot to get to today. So thumbs up if you're watching. It's free, right? And we'll go for about an hour. And then we'll get to the uh, the paid questions at the end of the hour. And, um, you know, of course, you're under no obligation to donate if you don't want to. But if you want to, that's certainly there. Plus, uh, big announcement, gang. Big announcement. We now have memberships. You can officially join as a member of the channel now. Uh, probably long overdue. We're still trying to tweak exactly what the reward system is. We don't really know right now. We just have two tiers. One, it's like $4.99 a month. You get the custom badges. It's a way to be, we call it the support tier. It's just a way to support um, the channel and show you're a member. If you go on the $9.99 a month route, um, you can participate in the paid section of the live chat without cost. Now, if you start putting in 10 questions a week, then we're going to have to kind of dial it back to perhaps a limited number. But um, if you want to join up on the 999 tier, you can just participate at the end. We'll make sure that we, if you can see your badge, by the way, you can get badges, you can get emojis. There's lots of stuff you can get, but, um, yeah, it will allow you to do that. And we might begin to add stuff to that as we roll it along. We're just rolling it out, trying to see what kind of response we get, whether you guys like it, whether or you don't. So it's a, I won't say a trial run, but it's a soft opening of the membership. So that's live. That's live. Go get that. If you're so inclined, or if you just want to watch from afar, you don't want to do any of that stuff. I get that too. I'm just glad you're here. Okay. All right. With that out of the way, let's get this uh, party started, shall we? Yeah. And we're back. There we are. Yeah, a little bit lower there. Um, okay. So we have a lot to get to today, as I indicated. Um, oh, let's get the poll going. I don't know what Ant has cooked up just yet, but um, you know, I'm going to wait for the first poll. I'm going to wait a little bit, and then we'll get to some of the polls. But we're going to have some polls. Please be uh, uh, so kind as to participate in those if you if you feel like you'd like to. All right, all right, very good. With that in mind, let's add this up and then get this going, and we'll do it. Ooh, excuse me, like this. There we go. All right, this is our sort of custom layout here. Okay, first question from the Misery Machine. With Sean's win, so many people, I think Sean Strickland, obviously, so many people have been calling this the, quote, greatest upset of all time, end quote. And while it's certainly up there, and the true number one is debatable, yes, I'm surprised nobody has mentioned TJ Dillashaw upsetting the nine-year, 34-unbeaten streak of Henan Barrow, yes, which to me is one of the greatest upsets of all time. I think that that one probably doesn't get mentioned as much because uh Burrell fell off a cliff after that like the re like at the time it was monumental right because he beat the fucking brakes off of him uh, that part is true that part is very true but Burrell was really never the same afterwards and you know I think Dillashaw obviously popping for um EPO later has for to some folks you, you guys know my views but I think to some folks has cast doubt on you know um uh, whether that was a truly clean 
victory. And, you know, it wasn't like beating, a, 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 he was, he, he, I mean, he had an impressive streak to that point, but Burrell will not go down as a legend like Silva or GSP or you name it. And in the case of Izzy, again, my view is he is at worst, at worst, the second best middleweight of all time. So, you know, there, it, I do think that you can probably put Dillashaw closer to the top of the list of greatest upsets of all time if you're so inclined. For me, though, it just lacks a couple of really key details that uh, make Sean's win, Sean Strickland's win over Izzy, to me, more impressive. And it was the thing I told um, Eric Nixick. I did an interview with him. If you guys didn't see it, youtube.com slash combat. Where I basically had said, because remember, you know, Eric is from the Extreme Couture Gym. And I remember exactly where I was when Randy beat Tim Sylvia. I, I was with some friends and they had like a they had like a theater room in the apartment complex they lived in. And so we rented it out. And um there was a bunch of guys there who had never seen UFC before. And I was like, you know, just one of these like know-it-all UFC fan assholes. And uh, I was talking about the head movement of Randy Couture and everything. Like, it was just this thing. And um, the call that Bruce had that night was electric. Uh, you know, and then he had been knocked out by Liddell, had retired, came back. I think he had a divorce in between. Like, it was just all this shit. And people were like, why is he even getting a title shot at heavyweight against Tim Sylvia, who's, you know, like the best guy that they got in UFC and he just beat the fuck out of him. You know, it was like ridiculous. You just couldn't see it coming. It was ridiculous. And so, but the difference was that, you know, that guy was captain America. He was the Olympic alternate. He was, you know, this sort of vanguard of elite wrestling that had made its way over to MMA. But Sean was just a good fighter who kind of came out of nowhere, you know, who he wasn't on a scholastic wrestling program. He wasn't an elite kickboxer. He doesn't have a world title in jujitsu or anything. He's just a guy who showed up to the gym and got good and then developed this really weird style and then beat the second best middleweight of all time at it. It's just, you know, for that reason, I just find it very, very, very special. Uh, if I may, let me fix one uh, there. Okay, very good. Uh, all right, let's keep it going, shall we? Here it is. Uh, okay. Luke, love the interview uh, on MK with Eric Nixick. If you had the chance to pick the brain of any MMA coach, past or present, learn their philosophy, methods, and outlook on fighting, who would it be taking away geographical restraints? The reality is, man, I haven't even had a chance to sink my teeth into some of the ones that are around. I've been trying to talk to Eugene Behrman unsuccessfully. I don't know if I have his number currently. I, I don't. They, sometimes these guys change their number, or he's just not returning my uh, entreaties for an interview. I, I can't quite tell. And by the way, I don't, I'm not saying that with like any shade, like you guys know my view, like these guys don't owe you an interview. And for the most part, I don't like doing them anyway, but that would be one exception. Either way, I cannot find a way to get a hold of him. And, uh, you know, I've not had a chance to really like, I mean, I, I have found some of the Behrman slander this week shocking, to be honest with you. I said it to Eric Nixick. When you win, you deserve praise for the accomplishment. And when you lose, there is a measure of fair criticism that you should expect. And I don't think that any coach is above that, including the great Eugene Behrman. But this idea that he's like some in-over-his-head fraud, I understand why people in the community have a bit of a nervousness, you know, around guys who do really well and then all of a sudden do poorly. Or just, you know, having after the Diego Joshua Fabia saga, 
about having some skepticism about some of these guys. I understand that, but dude, this is not Joshua Fabia. Eugene Berman is a very good coach. He fell short. I didn't think the corner work was particularly strong in this fight. You know, there's a few things you can point to about why they underperformed. Um, I certainly understand that, and I think that's all fair. But then, like, looking at his record and being like, this is Fugazi, like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Um, he is an exceptional coach. Not a perfect one, because there isn't one. But um, so, you know, again, I'm not trying to shield them from criticism. I'm trying to shield them from idiotic criticism that really just holds no bearing in reality. Anyway, I'd love to talk to him more. Um, I've been meaning to talk to uh, Kirian Fitzgibbons. I've been He reached out to me, which was great. Um, we've been meaning to connect. I haven't had a chance to do that yet. He's one. Dude, there, there's, I mean, all kinds. Bo Mack, who's <laughs> sitting in an English prison right now. I'd love to talk to him. Derek James, I'd love to talk to him. Um, dude, I could talk to the coaches for the rest of my life. I get along better with them, as you guys have probably seen. I don't know. It's probably because I'm a little bit older. They're a little bit older. But I've always gotten along with coaches. Some of the coaches can be, like, really uptight and crazy. But most of them are less uptight and less crazy than the fighters. They under they like embrace the critique of the weaknesses of their fighters a little bit more easily than the fighters themselves, which you can understand. And so it makes conversation a little bit more normal. And I think most of them realize, you know, I'm not doing it for some, you know, to bash them or something, to bash them or their fighters. It just ends up being a thing where some criticism is part of the conversation. They just don't run away from it. So. Um, I just get along better with them, but there's a, I mean, there's a, there's a ton, there's a ton I could talk to. Um, Justin Flores, I've been wanting to talk to for a long time, which I could do, but I just, you know, it's a matter of having the daylight hours. Yeah. There's a gazillion of them. There's so many good coaches, so many, some get more attention than others, but there's a lot of really, really good ones. All right. So let's do this one. Okay, let's do it like this. If you were Izzy's coach, what would you have told him to do differently during the fight? There didn't seem to be a lot of mixing of the martial arts, if you know what I mean, even in the striking department. Well, you know, listen, if they didn't practice for what they were up against, there's not much you can tell them in the middle of a fight, you know. Um, so I think, you know, there's been this kind of interesting debate, like whether or not there should be a rematch. Dana White kind of walked back that there's going to be a rematch a little bit at Tuesday's post-fight, uh, post-contender series presser, which was interesting. Didn't, like, say we're not going to do it, but did kind of acknowledge that there were other options, you know. So that's the first thing. It's kind of interesting. But the the central tension that keeps coming up is whether or not um, it's minor adjustments or not. And I would argue it's probably not, but I don't know what Eugene means by that when he says minor adjustments. I'm not sure what he means. So there's a couple of different ways to think about it. One would be, you know, how do you attack what Sean does, right? So that sort of like modified Philly shell where he's marching into you, he raises a leg, you know, he's leaning out of the way. How do you get around that? How do you work around that? A couple of, couple of choices. One would be the wrestling side because you'd have to mix it with the strikes but you got to remember something like if he's if he's leaning or balancing on one leg, he's going to be easy to take down. So the first thing you have to really do is like, can you come up with a sequence of either feints, strikes, some combination of the two to get him to uh, you want him to do two things. You want him to both uh, manipulate his weight 
So he leans in a space he can only hold temporarily. I mean, he can stand up like this forever, right? Or I should say like this. He can stand up like this forever. But can he lean and hold it? No, he can only lean for a split second. So you want to put him in a position where he has to lean or he can only manipulate his weight for a short, a really short window, a second or two. And you want to make him transfer his defense. So just think about how hard it can be to hit him. He'll lift a leg, he'll lean, and then he'll throw the traffic up. But what Curtis, um, Chris Curtis was calling kung fu blocking, right? which is sort of an interesting way of thinking about it. If you do that, he can't do anything else. Right now, the is the problem that Izzy had was Izzy kept putting him in places where he would do one or the other or both, and then wouldn't follow up after it. But if you do something where like you charge in, you go to the you fake like you're gonna go leg kick, body jab over the top, and so he has to kind of lean and get out of the way, and then you level change. Well, now you've got him dead to rights. I mean, these are easier said than done. I understand. I'm sure people have tried this in the gym and have found it very unsuccessful at times. But the basic idea would be. You have to make him transfer his defense at least once and to ma manipulate his weight to a place he can only hold it for a split-second window. And from there, you can wrestle him because think it's it's not it's not altogether differently than what Blahovich did to Izzy himself, where he would get Izzy kind of doing the thing where he would lean, and then as soon as he was leaning and off balance, I mean, that's not a position that's a strong place from which to defend a double. And then he would whoop, shoot in and take him down. That's It would be almost something kind of similar to that. So that's sort of one approach that you could do. I don't know that that's going to be, you know, top of mind for a guy who's been, you know, one of the best strikers in MMA history, uh, or at least one of the most technically sophisticated strikers in MMA history. I don't know if that's in play. The other one is sort of beating this, right, where he's got this thing going on. How do you do that? This was the one part that I found kind of interesting. Um, his is so different. His, again, shoulder roll, Philly shell, whatever you want to call this, is so different because when you think about it, I mean, first of all, people like misunderstand the Philly shell big time. People think it's just like you can do this and then make it work and, you know, just to start holding your hands like this and then play with it and you'll get it pretty quickly. No, 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 no. You have to have great vision. You have to practice that, dude. That is round after round after round after round of sparring. You have to have incredible feel for it. And it's usually a very defensive thing. Guys will do this, you know, and then sort of shoulder roll and whatever, you know, uh, keep it up high, whatever. Uh, and then sometimes they'll do it with motion. Sometimes they'll do it in place, either against the cage or the ropes or whatever. So, you know, he is doing it with pressure, which is really uh, unique. And he's not doing it, as Laura Sengler pointed out, all that bladed. So that's a really interesting part. But at least on the boxing side terms, how would you defeat it? Um you defeat it by going to the open side, right? If you can circle to that out. Now, he can switch side to side, by the way. Not not like a lot. James Tony could go back and forth with it, and that was just a real problem. But if you got to go to the, the to the open side, to the side where the hand is, is what is he, left? He is, he is uh, he's like, he's like, wait, I'm, no, I, he's like this. Yeah, yes, no, yes. Sorry, right hand is back. My brain's not working right. His right hand is back like this, and he's got the left hand kind of up you have to go to the outside of this hand or this arm because once you do that right if this person's like this and you get over to this angle it mechanically makes it almost very difficult to punch across your body you can do a little bit with something there but it's not an mma anyway and you can elbow block and stuff but you don't have a lot of mechanically strong punching and if they are doing it right and they line up on this outside weeks or this uh this open side 
then they actually line up uh, for a straight shot down the middle or to the body behind it, or you can go for a takedown from there as well. You have to go to this outside. And you just really never saw Izzy doing that. You never really saw him doing that and moving to that outside space. And I don't mean like circling wide. I mean like covering that space and then circling around him, getting almost perpendicular with him on this side, on the side where the arm is down. You have to go to that side. You have to you have to attack from that side. That's where all the openings happen on the uh, on the Philly shell. Uh, now, that's the case in boxing. In MMA, it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit weird. But you're going to get so much more open on this side than you ever will on this one where they can, you know, roll. And then as they as you're fading, he can attack like that, right? So the first thing would have been like, if the guy's doing this and he's marching into you, you got to move to this. You got to move to the, uh, to the, to the open side of the Philly shell. That's like number one. That's number one. You got to do that. And I don't know if they want to wrestle with him or not. I don't know how they feel about that. You don't have to wrestle him again. You can get him, you can get him off balance defense transferred. And then you can go for another strike, but you have to put him at the end of what is accomplishable at each exchange. He can hold a position for a minute. He can transfer his defense once. Sometimes they can do it twice, but not really. And then you go and attack after that. So it's about putting him, it's about making him use his defensive reactions. Uh, you have to put him in a place where he's executing on them and then go. And then you have to go to the open side of the Philly shell. So that, those would have been broad stroke recommendations but it doesn't seem like they i don't know what they had planned i guess they thought he was going to wrestle i guess they thought he was going to wrestle and they just didn't have a plan or i'm not sure i don't really know what they thought but they definitely didn't have izzy izzy was fading much more to his own left than to his own right and to his right would have been a better option to attack the open lane you know all right Let's do this one. There we are. Luke, who do you favor in a DDP versus Strickland fight and why? Dude, I don't know what the answer to that is. How would you see that going? I know it's just a guess, but I always love hearing your take on these things. Well, I mean, it's a very different fight than the Izzy fight. For one, DDP can go get takedowns. I mean, I know he does sometimes a little frenetic, but he can get them. He's fucking strong as shit, right? That, that part we've always known. Um, super strong. He's got like... Sma heavy smash passes we saw that Sao Paulo pass that he did on Whitaker you know so there's something to be said there I think mixing it up certainly would be the key um if you're going to be under pressure from Sean I wonder about clinching with him again going to that outside I don't know I don't, I don't know how they're going to make that work um I would say this I you know DDP does he have the refinement of Izzy no but he's got some brute force. He's got skills. I'm not saying he doesn't have skills, but what he ha clearly has over Izzy, I think, is brute strength and a again combined with skills and a willingness to take risk. That dude will take risk, like no doubt about it. He will take risk. So he hits really hard. He can mix in the wrestling. He can probably he's probably willing to fight in short like phone booth style range. They can work on some of the Philly shell attacks between now and then. I don't know. I might. I mean, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't know. It's I. I I'm. I, you guys have seen my work since Saturday. Since being like galactically and amazingly wrong about it, I have tried very studiously to give uh, Sean his props. But do DDP? I, I was wrong about DDP before the Whitaker fight too. Like. You know, you got to give that guy props. I think I think DDP is a tough matchup. I think he's a really tough matchup. Sean 
has got a lot of skill, disruptive, you know, cardio uh, uh, based, genuine ability. Um, and I think that's a, that's a close, tough fight. That's a close. I would just say I think DDP actually might be a little bit more dangerous than what certainly than the Izzy that we got last Saturday. I don't think there's that I would feel very confident saying. So, you know, can Sean disrupt him too? I bet Sean can disrupt a lot of people with the current version of what he's been able to show. But DDP is a hammer. He's a hammer. That would be the the odds on that one, whoever you favor would be close. They would. All right. Uh, someone's asking chances of doing a collab with the guys from Heavy Hands. I'd always be down. I don't know if they love BC. I don't even know if they love me, but uh, I'd always be down for something like that. Um, I answered this one on Saturday night, so I'll just touch on it very quickly. Do you believe Sean's win was some sort of fluke uh, and Izzy just had an off night? No. <laughs> no. No, I don't. No, I absolutely do not think that. I mean, I've had, I cannot tell you how many people have written me emailed me, DM me, tweeted me with 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 some kind of theory about how something was wrong with Izzy. And the one that I have found kind of interesting, well there's two reasons to like not utterly dismiss that. One would be we just haven't heard from Izzy. I don't know what information he is or is not sitting on, but until we get it, we are we are lacking a pretty important perspective here. So that's one. The second thing I would say is I have seen people bring up that Izzy's physique looked a little deflated this time. It wasn't quite as sharp as it was maybe in the second potato fight or even in the first potato fight. Because I saw him before the first potato fight. He was he was in excellent shape. So um, could there be something to that? The short notice? Anything else going on in his life? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe that could explain it. But this is why, like, the rule is not like one victory means you're better than that person forever. Hello, Izzy, in the fight prior to this one proved that that is not necessarily true. It is always about what they were on that night. But on that night, there is simply no argument, uh, unless Izzy comes with like really unusual physical details. But there is just short, short of some kind of grand revelation about that. Um, and I don't even know what that would be short of that, dude, he got beat. He got beat. He got beat. Like Sean had a technical answer and a strategic vision that on that night was more than Izzy could handle. It's just, you know, there's just no other way to say it. He got f f f just watching what happened on camera. And there's more than of course, to the story than just that. But like based on what the footage shows, the footage shows one guy being clearly superior to the other because he had better technical answers. Like that's just that. Um, so does that mean Izzy can't win a rematch? Of course not. Of course, that's not what it means. That would be very foolish to think something like that. But uh, does it mean? Does it mean um, that you know? Again, we'll have to hear what Izzy says, but. I don't, I don't view what happened in any way as fluky. Now, whether he can repeat that is a different story, right? With the information that Izzy has now and a chance to do it again whenever that may happen, 
does he could he come up with some solutions i suspect that the second fight will be different yeah i don't know how we'll have to see but i suspect that's going to be different i also think that like is he not putting pressure on sean hurt him you know like if someone's going to be using that kind of philly show you got to get them defensively reacting and more than just when they're pressuring you you got to put them up against like close to a wall you got to get them doing that shit in a confined space because then they're much more hittable, you know, like just kind of having them when they have the open space to lean and get out of the way and everything else and just shuffle their feet. It's going to be very hard. So there's a lot, like there's a lot of things that could go different. That's why it's like, do I think Izzy can win the rematch? Yes. Do I think he'll win the rematch based on minor adjustments? No, no, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I think if their mind is still around minor adjustments, um, that would be a problem. Okay, let's do this one. Luke, first a request. Would love for you to interview Rob Macy. I think I don't think you spelled it wrong. Uh, of the MMAFA, since he's making the media rounds with the class cert of the lawsuit. With that said, how would the UFC WWE merger approved? How was the UFC? They didn't merge. Both of them being monopolies in tangential industries. They didn't merge. They didn't become a single entity. There is a larger business that uh, they sell shares of. But they didn't become a it, TKO is a separate business structure than the UFC and WWE becoming one company. They didn't become what they're they're still two two distinct entities with shared ownership. It's different. So there's no as I I mean from what I can tell there aren't well actually I don't know to what extent there might be antitrust implications for that. I don't I candidly do not know. All right, let's see here. Do you think the UFC views the outcome of Strickland as champ, which probably wasn't their first choice, as a matchmaking failure? I mean, they, they're their own matchmakers. Whose fault is that? You talk often about how the UFC makes the fights they can make, not always the ones they want to. It feels like Sean's win is the best example yet. Yeah, for sure. If they had a packed pay-per-view lineup through the fall, I imagine they would have just waited to book the Drickus fight, but they needed a big headliner. Yeah. Well, I mean, the argument is basically that they rushed this one out and now the Drickus fight is may never happen, or it may happen under less than ideal conditions, or you know they, that now that one is in jeopardy. They they paid, they robbed Peter to pay Paul, right? Is what they did. This is what I mean. Like they just need guys to like. This is what I'm talking about. Like if they had, if they had, if the idea was to create the best card possible for Sydney, would they have booked Rob and? Drickus in a number one contenders fight like on the timeline that they did of course they would not have or they would have supplemented in some other way but they didn't they just tried to keep the train on the tracks with the content schedule they had and that's just where they ended up they ended up in a place where this was they that those were they, their options were severely constrained now because they have a monopoly on the market they can still go and find you know respectable talent which you know obviously sean is as a fighter to fill in on short notice, but you know, we were waiting for this to be official because they couldn't figure out or they no, they couldn't figure it out, but they were, you know, trying to get his immigration papers done. Right. Like they they ate up a good fight to make this one. Now, what I think you have I've I've seen UFC do this over the course of the years at a time or two. And again, they sometimes and oftentimes they get it quite right. So let's, you know, this is not like an everyday occurrence that every pay-per-view is like this, but the point I would make is they still win, dude. 
they still win. I mean, first of all, Sean, whether he's for you or he is not for you, and again, you guys have noticed that I try to keep all of my comments about him um, about his fighting ability and not much else. I don't have much interest in anything but that personally, but I gather that a lot of people do. And so he kind of turned into something of a fan hero, whether that is uh, inspiring or dismaying. I do think that happened. And remember, they've got Drickus under contract. They've got Izzy under contract. They've got Sean under contract. It's not like they're working with another promoter. They have all these guys. So like, did they optimize the biggest fights possible at middleweight? No, but by having everyone basically under contract, one of their guys kind of blew up unexpectedly and they can still make pretty big fights, if not the optimal ones that some of us had wanted. But the trade-off is not huge in terms of the, the difference in buys. Like especially now that you can get two fights out of Sean and Izzy, the trade-off is not huge. It's some, it's there's something to it, but it's not huge. And the bigger point is, uh, I think UFC would make that trade ten times out of ten. So you you mean to say we might get a smaller fight than the one we could have gotten? But the good news is, we still get to retain everyone under contract, and we get to make all the money no matter what iteration of fight that is made. And you'd be like, yes, they'll they'll make that trade. They'll make they'll make that or they'll they'll happily sign off on that arrangement. Every time, every time. So, no, you didn't get the best matchmaking, but I understand why the UFC doesn't like sweat the small details about something like this because they win no matter what, right? All right, here's an interesting one. Let's get to this one. All right, let's do this. Can you help me understand how the footwork didn't play a bigger factor in the main event between Izzy and Strickland? I'm struggling to comprehend how somebody with a level of evasive footwork as Izzy can get marched down by a person who is quiet, literally just walking forward, bringing their feet together. P.S. Props to Sean. He earned that way. Uh, okay, there's a few factors. Number one, again, you had Izzy going fade into his own left rather than fade into the right onto the onto the open side of the of the. Uh, Philly, Philly shell. That's the first problem, right? So he was kind of, at times he would go the other direction, but then he would do it when he was far apart and he could like move more evasively. He wasn't crowding the space and then getting to an angle on Sean. He was trying to just get away. And then as Sean was coming into him, sort of like figure out what he was going to do from there. So like, uh, you know, do I think the question you have to ask yourself is, do I think is he could pull off something where he's attacking the open side of the Philly shell? Yes, I do. I absolutely do. Whether he will do that, I don't know. But he, he certainly didn't do that on Saturday night. But I think he can. I definitely think he can. So that was one problem. The other problem is like, you know, the mechanisms that he routinely uses um, to set up stuff. Like, so he's gotten in the habit of backing up a little bit and then leg kicking his way for either from guys who will ricochet into position or try to encroach on him, or whatever. Like, leg kicking is such a part of his game. I've said it so many times. People get mad about the Romero fight not being exciting. Fine, but if you just look at what damage was done there and, like, the strike totals, if you take a, like, Izzy's leg kicking game, it, it, it lands often when he's pumping it and it's working, and it causes, you know, some noticeable level of damage. 
And when you take that away, like Blahovich did, he has to go to second order offense a little bit more with the hands, different kind of range. It's not quite the same. And, uh, and you saw the problems with that. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to say one was some decisions about how to attack the particular problem that Sean was offering with, the, with his stance and everything else. The other one was that Sean had this great ability to just kind of not lose position by marching forward with the checking because the checking is just sort of the way in which Izzy has tried to slow these things down, force resets, you know, enter his own kind of traffic, his own kind of complicating um, um, factor into these uh, exchanges. And when that got taken away, it just seemed like he was trying a bunch of stuff. And they kept asking him to go for the overhand, you know, because they were trying to get Sean leaning. Um, yeah, uh, it's not that Izzy can't do it. It's that I think he's gotten – he didn't have the right approach to what Sean was offering. And he has gotten used to a style of accepting pressure – uh, that Sean had a uniquely good amount of ability to deal with. Now, I would also say it's not like Izzy didn't have good footwork in this fight. He did in certain ways. You know, he didn't get the shit beaten out of him. He got dropped in the first and he got cleanly beat, you know, um, certainly over the last two rounds. People are like, oh, there's no there's no scorecard for 48-47, Sean. Second round, Izzy. Third round is close. I, I think Sean wins it uh, upon second review, but... People have been acting like that one's not close is a little silly, but okay, neither here nor there. Um, for me, it really just comes down to a guy sort of getting used to a particular way of accepting aggression and then over um, overestimating its ability to be useful against Strickland. Um, nice question. Luke, I listened to your interview with Eric Nixick. Uh, it was really good. Thank you. And he really gave you some huge compliments toward the end. How does that feel hearing stuff like that from people like that? Yeah, it's obviously nice. It's obviously nice. Um, no, it's great. I mean, I don't want to sit here and sound, uh, ungrateful. I am very grateful for, uh, the very nice things that he said. I'm grateful for the opportunity to have a relationship with a guy like Eric Nixick that, you know, I can, bounce ideas off of and you know just sort of a, a like-minded guy in certain ways that, that that part's great um it's nice it's nice to hear stuff like that it's validating to hear people who have great accomplishment in the fight game um say very nice things you know but i mean i don't get into the job for that you know i'm not like it's not what i'm seeking per se and, um, <laughs> you know, in a different industry that was a little bit more open, these kinds of third-party validation that I get time to time, I think would would be really beneficial for me just on a professional level. But the way in which the industry works, um, I, I, you know, listen, you have to accept the praise for what it is. It's it's just an insanely nice thing that he said, and I really, really appreciate that. I think, I would just say this, I think one of the mistakes I made earlier in my career was that like, oh, like if really important and influential people say this kind of thing, there might be more people who feel that and or it might lead to some great professional consequences, or not consequences, but professional uh, outcomes. And uh, it has no bearing on that whatsoever, you know? So you have to kind of take it for what it is, which is just a really nice and accomplished person who has faith 
and uh, some belief in my ability and gets along with me. And um, I just leave it at that. I, I, I'm very grateful. I'm, I'm grateful for it. I'm very grateful for it. So I'm, I'm making it sound like, I, like I'm ungrateful. I hope it doesn't come across that way. I, I certainly do not mean it that way, but um, you know, sometimes there can just be these belief that like, Oh, this will lead to something. It, you know, it does not, it does not. Um, clarification. People are asking me, am I going to do a live post fight, uh, show on MK for UFC Noche? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. So you can join me Saturday night after the fights. I will be there for you. All right. Um, interesting question. Hold on. I feel for Izzy, this person writes, besides the Strickland fight, who else hasn't he beat already, already beat? Well, Drickus. Should he eat pizza and move up a weight class? I mean, I thought so after beating Pereira, to be honest with you. I didn't know what was really left for him here. And it turns out like that maybe that would have been a better idea. But I, honestly, I think what I would say if I was, you know, he doesn't, you know, Israel has not reached out to me for counsel. So this is unsolicited advice. But... Were I to suggest something, I, 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 weight class change, maybe, maybe that I think that could be in order. I don't think that's in any way crazy, but I think the bigger issue is, I think he has gotten a little bit stuck in a offensive routine where he has really constrained his, I mean, this happens like, it's going to sound like some diss. It's not dude. It happens to, I not all the greats, but it happens to a, like a good majority of them. And I think the closest analog to this would be George St. Pierre. Everybody loves St. Pierre now as well. They should. And everyone has high praise for St. Pierre now as well. They should. But I can tell you that the last several years of his active career before the four-year layoff, people were bitter as shit at him for being boring. I mean, that was a real problem. You know, you go back to the Dan Hardy fight. And you just look at like, you know, there's just no way to look at that and say he wasn't risk averse at times um, because Hardy's obviously a good fighter. I know Dan well, and I have, you know, D Dan's just Dan's the man like Dan Hardy is the man. But GSP had a considerable level of skill over him at that time from top position, both with wrestling and jujitsu. And you just didn't see a lot of ground and pound from him. He was really trying to take the path of least resistance and trying to get these Kamors. And, you know, he was going for it. You know, he was, and I think uh, he had a few submissions. He was like trying to stretch Dan Hardy into a million different places. So like, it wasn't like he wasn't going for it in that sense, but like, if you're on top of a guy and like, I think he, like Dan was maybe a purple at the time and GSP had long been a black belt. And again, one of the best wrestlers MMA had ever seen to that point. You know, John Danaher trained the whole Greg Jackson. Like, dude, you could have opened up on him from ground and pound on top, and he just didn't. He just didn't. And you could tell he was ornery at the end of that run. I interviewed him before the Hendricks fight, and he got all bitter about some question he misunderstood or something. Like, you know, guys get burned out at the end of their runs, and they kind of really begin to narrow their offense at the end of their championship reign because most of that works most of the time. They don't, they don't want to risk something stupid happening and then giving up their title. Now, when guys bring the fight to them like Costa or like guys bring the fight them to like Pereira, obviously he can do remarkable shit. Like, you know, he's still got enormous amounts of skill. But, you know, like George St. Pierre, the very, I mean, if, if this happened to St. Pierre, no one is safe, right? If even this happened to the great George St. Pierre, 
Izzy can't escape this fate, which is that they, as, as between trying to manage risk to hold on to everything that they've built and they're just kind of getting older and kind of stuck in their ways, they end up in this position where their offense narrows over time. It has narrowed. It has narrowed. And I say this as somebody who has spent a lot of time looking at his game. That doesn't make me an expert, but it makes me at least familiar. Familiar. His offense has narrowed. It has narrowed. And I think the bigger issue is reopening that a little bit, especially now that the title's gone. I think he is, you know, you do invite more risk. There's a little bit more head trauma. Uh, I still think that Izzy style is gonna is going to um age well, you know, as time goes on. But forget about which fight it's gonna be or what weight class it's gonna be. The biggest issue is reopening up the offense. And I don't think all the way back to what it was, you know, I don't know, Tavares fight or something. I don't know. I don't know if it needs to go back to that level. But I think some kind of hard reset on the offense is in order. Yeah. Uh, someone's asking, what do I think are good characteristics of a good question? Something that someone hasn't asked before. There you go. Um, so, Luke, why do you think Izzy was unable to adapt and make adjustments during his fight with Sean? He's such a high-level striker that I'm shocked that he was so seamlessly shut down by Sean. I'm going to say it one more time, guys. People who use the Philly show like this, it is... They make it look effortless. They make it look kind of easy, dude. There's nothing about that easy. Anybody good at the Philly shell, and again, Sean's got some weird variety of it. You know, it's not exactly Philly shell. It's not. It's not James Tony in his prime. James, you guys should go look at James Tony highlights. Go look at James Tony highlights using his Philly shell. Dude was a fucking monster at it. You know, he was really good. I cannot overstate. Or or Floyd. Now Floyd's was much more defensive. James was. James would still throw. Guys, I cannot overstate this. To get good at the Philly shell is so much fine-tuned nuance about where to go, what you're looking for, what position, how to roll on this strike, how to check on that strike, what combos you want to fire back with. It takes a ton of feel. You have to really begin to feel all the different parts of that. Like, so someone who's really good at it has just got a very unique feel for that position because even people who are like, for example, who's got like a good Philly show and not like the most amazing Philly show, but a good one. Caleb Plant's got a pretty good one and he even still gets bombed on time to time. Um, so the point I'm trying to make here is like, you know, the, the, the ones who are really good at it. And again, he had a really good showing this time. Sean has developed a particular kind of feel for that, that nothing I can really show you on dissected really gets, does a good job or technical difficulties. I can really show you does a good example of like, Oh, this is so specific in this particular technical way. Like he just has like how far to lean and how to balance and where his feet should be and, and how the weight should be distributed between them. And is it on this particular strike? Is it on that particular movement? Is it on this particular like time signature, everything is a feel that goes through it. So, you know, when you're saying, oh, he did it so seamlessly, I mean, I get what you mean. Like Izzy could never get out of, you know, second gear, really. Maybe maybe a little bit in the second round, but that's really about it. But 
like what Sean was doing takes <laughs> extraordinary skill to be able to like, you know, deal with it the way in which he deals with it. And again, he, I'm not comparing him to Mayweather. I don't, you know, or even James Tony or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying when people are like, oh, he just kind of walked up and da 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 and then rolled out of the way. No, dude. All of that is is like trying to figure out you know what defense you can employ in what circumstance and where everything needs to be. Dude, that's so many round after round after round of sparring. It's it's only the kind of skill you can develop. A, if you're just an absurd athlete and, and you know boxing marvel like floyd and then on top of that you've got a lot of rounds of practice and it's something that usually guys pick up if they started boxing early when they sort of can feel when they can grow in their skills as their body grows so everything the technical details grow as you grow into your own man strength and everything right so you know if it seems like it was just kind of simple because sean walked up blah 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 you know and then popped him it's like dude it's you just it's very I, I cannot explain to you how difficult that kind of thing is so so thoroughly shut down yes easily shut down i would i bet you know sean afterwards was like it wasn't like a brutal fight but he's just developed this insane ability to thrive in that way which is so so hard to do another question about how strickland would match up against duplicy yeah kind of been over that already Oh, someone's asking, is the sleep better? Way better. Way better. Way better. Infinitely better. Um, I have, I'm seeing a doctor about it. A lot of you recommended Trazodone. It has worked. It has worked. It has worked well. It didn't work at first, um, but it's working now. So uh, not perfect. Not perfect, but infinitely better than it was a week ago. Infinitely. All right. Yeah, questions about like, what about the rematch? Who's going to win and why? <sighs> the question you have to ask yourself is, who's got more changes to make? And the answer is definitely Izzy. Um, and But that usually means the wind is at your back a little bit on this one. If you've got more changes to make, that means you've got more territory you can cover to get the dub. But the same point is he lost four rounds to one. So it's like, you know, yes, there's more things he can change, but he has an uphill climb to change that equation. You got to get two more rounds. Um, I think odds makers, I'll say this. I think odds makers will still favor Izzy. I do. I, whether that's fair or not, we shall see. But I do think that they, they will favor that. Yeah. Um, but the women's 135 division, does anyone really care? Thoughts on Hamzat's recent comments on the Israel-Palestine conflict? Yeah, I don't, I don't care what he had to say. I mean, I'm sure what well, he seems hopeful that Israelis will be expelled from the land. Yeah, good luck. Um, okay. So... Here we go. Let's pull this one up. Luke, on the post-fight show, you talked a lot about how few fighters on Saturday, about a few fighters on Saturday having great success with linear attacks. 
Can you give a, be- a brief breakdown on one of the best ways to counter linear attacks? Yeah, I mean, there's a million ways to do it. Like if someone's got a good jab, you come over the top of the jab, right? Um, another one would be, again, it doesn't matter if it's Philly shell or not, hitting them from angles, uh, making them – how about this one? How about this one? Very simple. And Izzy's good at this one except Sean read it. Izzy will kind of lean just right here. He'll put – there's something in striking called like where your head slot. He'll kind of put his head slot just slightly here kind of baiting to hit it because he'll put it forward too. And then he'll pull it back at like a 45-degree angle and then come over the top, right? So he's looking for you to jab and step into him so that the jab goes past, right? Jab is straight punch. Jab goes past, and then you can come over the top. But it all requires this commitment. It requires baiting them and, and then getting them to move forward. So really it's just... There's a million ways you can do it. You can, you know, you can jab with them by going over the top, as I indicated. You can parry and then go over the top. You can use your own linear attacks. Um, I mean, there's a million ways to shut down someone's jab, slipping, angles. You can get them to throw it less. For example, you can throw head kicks and they have to chamber the hand and both hands. Uh, so they're they're much less likely to throw it. I mean, there's a million ways to counter any of this stuff. Um you know, um, I I think that for Izzy, the constantly being forced to reset, he just couldn't quite get into a thinking or rhythm mode, right? That was that's part of it. It's, it's all rhythm disruption too, just marching into you like that, right? You just have minimal amount of time. You're on this constant shot clock where you're trying to think through this problem. You know, next time if they have a plan, he's going to be able to have that as like muscle memory to go through from camp. This one, he just seemingly did not have that. So that's going to be something I suspect is going to change the next time out. But yeah, I mean, there's just a gazillion ways. There's a gazillion ways to counteract um, straight linear attacks. It's just, and you know, you can, if they're front kicking, you can circle parry, which Sean was doing, but let's imagine a different role. You can circle parry and turn them off at a direction. So now instead of facing you here, they're here. And then you can fucking set them on fire. Like, there's just any number of ways to do it. Any number of ways. Someone's asking more about how to beat the Philly shell. We kind of been over that a little bit. Okay. This is an interesting one. Let's go to this one. Have people been overthinking how to beat Izzy? No. Sean just went in there with the basics and did it easily. No, he didn't. I know there's obviously a lot more to how he did it. Yep. But my question is, do you think some trainers and fighters overthink things when fighting game planning? Yes, that can happen. Because looking back, now applying forward pressure on a counter striker like Izzy seems pretty obvious. But again, easier said than done. Yeah, well, you know, there's a reason nobody could do it up until Sean did it. Right. Again, I'm going to say it one more time. The style that Sean has produced for himself is highly unusual and very difficult to deal with, as you guys all saw, and very difficult to develop. That's why you don't see a lot of guys do it that way. When people say Sean just easily did it, dude, like that, like, oh, okay. So if Sean easily did it, that should mean. A, his skill level is just beyond comprehension, which he's very good, but it's not beyond comprehension. Or that someone else can follow that blueprint. Yeah, good luck. Let's see someone else follow that blueprint. See how that goes for you. You're going to get fucked up doing that. It's not a blueprint you can just 
anybody can just copy. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Does not work that way at all. At all. Oh, Mayweather's boring. Dude, Mayweather's boring because those motherfuckers couldn't find him. That sounds like I'm comparing Sean to Mayweather. I'm not. I'm just sort of saying like these people who de- develop this this ridiculous sensitivity that is required to play at range with you and you know another part too was the range he was operating at right he was inside the kicking distance and then had that chick that checking answer you know there's all kinds of stuff there but dude i want to be very clear it looked basic in terms of the punch selection that sean used yeah he did not employ in like ridiculous combinations or something like that or you know this marvel of um, striking that we'd never seen before. That part is true. He did have, right, here, here this is the rule. Simple, not easy. Mm-mm. Gordon Ryan's game, simple, not easy. Not easy. Not easy at all. Nothing easy about that. Uh, so you're right that trainers can sometimes be like, we're going to do, I want you to go switch step into the drop shift and then we're going to go you know slide right out of 45 we're going to hit him in this angle it's like that seems like pretty complicated for someone who just either isn't ready for that yet or you know you're 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 introducing complexity at a time when you know that it leaves time for the person to escape on the other end like there's just a lot of times i have seen something like that yes that can happen that's not what happened here what happened here was you had a guy who had a very unique style and a very delicate sensitivity to a very hard position to master and uh, a good fighter just couldn't come up with a solution over 25 minutes to get over it that that's it but there's nothing there's nothing like oh he did it relatively easily no he didn't i mean to develop that kind of style is fucking absurd and no you can't just copy it like no you cannot no you cannot try going try any like why have these other guys been able to beat him with basics because the shit doesn't work (laughs) It doesn't work. Dude, guys have had multiple times trying to figure this out. Rob's had multiple chances at it. But Mar- Marvin's game is simple, too. What, his game is complex? I know it's a lot of wrestling. It's, you know, these, they, it, no. No, 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 no. No. You, you, this is what I mean about giving Sean credit. Dude, he has invested his time training in developing something that most people won't because you're going to get the shit beaten out of you trying to figure that out, probably. And he kind of refined it and refined it and refined it and refined it and refined it it until now he's got a pretty good use of it. Uh, So it looks like a guy just went up there, couldn't get anything going, reset, couldn't get anything going. Oh, it's pretty simple. Just kind of, you know, parry, parry, move. No, dude. No. Interesting question. Let's see. Let's go to it. Uh, longtime Irish listener here. What's up, Irish person? Uh, just wondering if you think it actually would have been more favorable for Izzy if the ref stopped the fight in the first round. Oh, interesting. It would have been portrayed as a fluke, whereas it would have went to full five with dominance with Strickland, and now nobody bar Dana are clamoring for a rematch. Well, so that's a good question. Um, It would have been more favorable for him in the short run, but maybe worse for him in the long run. Because if he didn't, like, if he just got popped at the end of the first, he could have been like, oh, I shouldn't have been square with my hands up against the fence as the round was expiring. 
or you know, uh, in, 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 just in that position at all. Every time he goes square and brings his hands up, he kind of absorbs a little bit too much punishment because he doesn't have those big gloves. You know, it's hard to ha- it's hard to do that. It's a little bit easier when you got the big gloves. But um, the point I wanted to make was, if he had been stopped that way, the narrative would have been okay. You know, referee stopped it, but blah blah blah. You know, he, Izzy was just getting warmed up, and who knows and you know, the rematch will be different. Like more people would have confidence about Izzy's choices, chances this time. And I think now it's a little bit more split, but I would say this, the amount of tape that Izzy now has to look back on his own mistakes, if he takes the right lessons from them, I, I those are, I mean, that's extremely valuable, right? There can be no denying from a technical perspective, he got shut down. And for that to go as long as it did, basically the duration of the fight, now he has no ability to be like, oh, the guy got lucky. He has to realize and look like he got systematically shut down. Well, that means you have to come up with a completely systematic overhaul. Not like change his whole game, but his strategy, right? It has to be an overhaul. That's what I mean, like minor minor changes. I, again, I don't, I'm not Eugene Behrman. I don't know what he means, but I, that doesn't seem right to me. It seems like there's a lot of differences that need to happen the second time around. but you have all of this evidence about what will happen if you don't. You can't hide from it. It's just there. You can't be like, well, this round was this and that round was that. It was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. So in that sense, it really forces a, you know, a come to Jesus moment about all of this and and like where it's all kind of headed. Um so this is an interesting one. You've recently talked about falling more in love with striking, i.e. after Crawford Spence. Yeah. While his technique is in many ways rudimentary, does watching Strickland's performance make you excited for the future of MMA striking? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest frontier of growth is on MMA striking, to be honest with you. There's growth and change that will happen in all the dimensions, but striking to me is the one that has the most to go. Um it was the one that started the furthest behind. Like if you watched early NHB or early MMA, the wrestlers dominated for a really, 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 really long time. And they still kind of dominate to an extent, but much more, much less so than they once did just based off like, you know, being an NCAA champion. That, that used to be like a, I mean, dude, when Matt Hughes was a two-time All-American, that was considered a big deal, right? And now like a two-time All-American, like that's that's still very valuable, but that's not, you're not going to be welterweight you're not going to go into the Hall of Fame of all-time great welterweights doing that, you know. So it had the most to go, and I still see, I mean, you know, these. I've seen people, be, I saw someone, God, where did I see this? I don't remember where I saw it. Where people being like, oh, could Sean do well in boxing? No. No, he'd get fucked up real good in boxing. I mean, again, he's got some defensive sensibility. He has perfected. That would be a little bit awkward, but... You know, if you don't have a lights out Philly shell, I've seen what happens to dudes who have like good Philly shells, but not great ones. And again, the specific of boxing and the distance and the shot selection and the angles, all that's going to be different. He would get, he would get eaten alive. You get eaten alive. It's very different. And he, listen, he didn't develop a Philly shell for boxing. He developed a version of it for MMA. So, you know, it's all it's all designed for a very different purpose. It's not like a slight to say he couldn't do it. I just want to get people to be like, give Sean his credit. What's exciting is that this guy has come and found, like there's 
always some new wrinkle. There's always some new way to develop it. And maybe people take some elements from what he's doing and not like wholesale copying. Cause again, it takes a lot of years of sparring refinement to really get that right. But so I don't know if this will usher in a revolution other than to say, it's just great to see people take new approaches and to, you know, raise, and I'll say this, like raising the level of defense, I think is great. People have like, like good offensive MMA striking, but they just get hit a lot. You know, here's a guy who like doesn't have necessarily overwhelming firepower, but has great defense, great defense. By the way, people killed Mayweather for that. And everyone's praising Sean for it, which is kind of funny, but you know, wonder what that's all about, but okay. Neither here nor there. I, I think it's great. I think it's great that someone has come along and figured out a way to be like a pressure fighter with strong defense. Like usually pressure fighters have like real like kind of basic defense and then, you know, they've got a big, huge punch. That's why they're pressure fighters. They just want to find you, control your space and then pop you with it. But he's not that guy. You're not, not to the same extent anyway. So yeah, in that sense, I think it's tremendous. I think it's tremendous. But I think I've seen also people be like, Oh, you know, could could he be one of the guys who could go and take a boxing fight and win? No. Mm -mm. That would be real bad for him. No, I don't think so. I don't think that at all. Next MK Live watch along. Your guess is as good as mine, people. Your guess is as good as mine. All right, we got time for maybe one more up here on the free ones. Let's see what we got. Let's see what we got. Do you think if is Oh, yes, good one. So, we'll pull this where you can see it. Do you think if Izzy threw more in combination that he could find improved success? Yes. It seemed like Sean's defense worked, or defense, worked well against Izzy's single shot sniping style and that mixing it up more with combinations could keep Sean guessing and eventually get through, maybe adding in a tie clinch as well, which he used to have, by the way. That's what I mean about his offense narrowing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I do think that. Um, now again, it's not just throwing for throwing sake, although I do believe also just adding a couple of more strikes in combination would yield dividends, but he should also, it's not one or the other, also consider combinations again, transfer of defense, weight manipulation to a place that cannot be held for more than a split second and then try and get to him. Cause if it's just one or the other, he's going to have a lot of answers. You have to get this dude moving and then be have to having to hold it. And then once that that's the case then he's cooked then he's dead to rights because if he's on one leg leaning you know and he's got a hand up and he's already moved his hands over there there's not much he's going to be able to do then he can pop him and then when you're incorporating angles well then he's 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 cooked he's cooked so yeah that's what you're looking for all right um let's get to the paid ones if you are so inclined and we will go from there jesus there's a bunch fuck well thank you that's very nice all right, let's get through these. Beef Leman. <laughs> Have you been to Spain? Yes, many times. I'm loving Real Madrid at the moment. They're the best team in the world. Yeah, to me anyway. Spain's amazing, folks. Spain is, um, if I had unlimited money and just time to just fuck off wherever I wanted, that's the, f I mean, I'd book a first class ticket there. That's where I'd go. All right, did you watch Submission Radio's post-fight interview of Eugene? I saw some of the highlights. Between that and the corner work, there seems to be a disconnect between fighter and coach. Something to note, Izzy was rocked in two fights with Alex and now dropped by Strickland. Yes, 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 he's become a little bit, but all of them was because he was more stationary. 
in those particular moments, right? And the leg kicking, which was a part of what Alex did, which was not part of what Sean did, although it sort of brings your point to him being hit more. Yes, yes. Uh, that Indian dude. I watched Whitaker's podcast recently. Maybe speculation on my part, but he looked lost. A, uh, ABD asked fans suggestions on how he should move forward. Yeah, it's not a simple thing. He's getting older. I don't think he can go to 205. Maybe he could go to 170, but like that would probably be very difficult. Like there needs to be more weight classes for a guy like that. He's one of these guys that he get, you know, he's still very, very competitive at 185, but he's had two chances to get his title back. He already held the title, and now here comes this new crop of guys, one of which just finished him. Um, yeah, I understand why he feels a little bit lost. Like I would too. It's not so simple. Did you find it ironic how Dana White power slapped his wife just before the show's release? Did I find it ironic? Um, I found it off-putting. I don't know if ironic is it. Uh, Snap King says, long time fan since 2020, 2012. Thank you, sir. Have always enjoyed your humor. Have you ever considered doing more content like Luke Thomas is pissed? Yeah, of course. Of course we have. Of course. Uh, but people didn't watch it when I did it. So it's like, I think there's like a small audience for that, but not a monetizable one. But yes, yes, we have. We've absolutely considered it. No doubt about it. Uh, whenever Brian, this, that Indian dude says, whenever that, whenever Brian Campbell fanboy is too hard on Shevchenko, you should make him watch Jack Slack's dissection of her and her male fans. As he put it, her male, I think he meant fans, would be willing to carry her babies like male seahorses. Yeah, her fans are the horniest fans on the internet. Like, there's no one who, even Paige Van Zant's fans are not as horny. Her fans are the horn. I mean, that's not her fault. I mean, you know, you may say she posts in ways to encourage that or not i don't know but if i'm just looking which which subsection of male fans are the horniest it's for sure hers because she projects in their mind i think the sort of like combo of beauty and and uh brutality which they love and uh she's white that it seems to help in the in the fan base as well so uh yeah they love they 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 get they get steamed up they open up their pants and the steam just rises, you know? So I, I don't quite get it uh, on a personal level, but there's just no denying if the horny police existed, there'd be a lot of her fans in jail, you know? Terrence writes, thoughts on bodybuilders dying at a young age. Yeah. Uh, are you are dying at a young again? Is this the one downfall of steroids? They all seem to have suffered from heart issues. Well, they all, the ones who have died all blasted gear in an utterly inadvisable way. Like none of them were doing it in a medically safe way. The question is, is there a medically safe way uh, over the course of time to take um, performance enhancing drugs? And the answer is, of course there is. Yes, of course there is. But just blast, who's that new guy? There's some new kid. I think he's like a teenager or maybe he's like 20. Is it Sulak, Sunak, something like that? He's fucking huge. He's huge. And he's all the rage. He'll post like the most mundane shit and people will lose their mind about it. Um, you know, this dude's on enough gear to kill a horse. Like, yeah, if you do that shit, it's going to be terrible for you. A lot of these guys, remember, they're using it in the strength community or the bodybuilding community for like the absolute peak of human performance, the most amount they can deadlift, the, the leanest they can get on stage for bodybuilding, whatever the case, you know, they're using it in like these maximal ways 
often in, in sports that have unrestricted use. And again, I think there should be, I'm not one of these guys who thinks you should just be able to use it. And like, there's no improved, like there, if you're going to have leagues where, uh, or organizations that don't really test for it, I can understand that, but there should be also be some health screenings. I think that go with it. And a lot of that's missing as well. So yeah, dude, if you take any drug, too much it's going to be really bad for you if you take too much tylenol it's going to really fuck you up that's not even i'm not even doing a, i'm not comparing one to the other as saying that they're pharmaceutically equal that's not my point but i'm just saying that what you have to understand with every drug with every drug this is true of every drug there's a dosage range that falls under what i would call intelligent use cases and use cases built for the long term or in a way that you can sustain it over the long term and then there are use cases that have nothing to do with that. And then all the risks get there. The idea that there is no intelligent use case for performance-enhancing drugs um, that is sustainable over the long term is simply not true. It's simply not true. All right. Should effective kick checking, Jan checks kicks that damage and slow Izzy down, right? Closer to the knee, count as effective striking by the judging criteria. I think it should. Yeah, but that'd be too hard to assess. Way too hard to assess. Way too difficult. If you could write your own ticket, what does the next 10 years look like for you professionally? Fuck me, dude. <laughs> Woo! Honestly, winning the lottery and then moving to an island and you guys never hear from me again, which I, I think would make some people very happy. In all seriousness, um, I mean, dude, the MMA industry is probably going to be monopolized for the rest of my life or for a long time. Or, you know, I, yeah, I can you, I mean, yes, I know that the, they could have this lawsuit that goes forward to trial in um, April and then maybe they change the industry. I don't, you know, can you bank on that? I don't think you can bank on that. I don't think you can bank on that at all. So, um, and there's the other part, guys. I don't know what the media industry is going to look like in 10 years dude so what is it 2023 dude in 2013 the media industry looked completely different venture capital money was flowing everybody thought buzzfeed and vice and to a lesser extent vox media and all of these like new media companies were going to be the future of media barstool was part of that too um you know and again there's been some of that like all of that turned out to be bullshit for basically everybody no one really came up with an online model that really works, right? So that's a huge problem. Um, more to the point, journalistic standards are completely going away. Like in 2013, you know, not being seen as a shill. It's not like MMA's ever had rigorous standards, but to what extent they ever had them, uh, they have profoundly eroded. You know, dude, if you're an influencer now, your whole modus operandi is just like, does that thing get clicks? I want to attach myself to that. There is, they don't give a shit who they feature, whatever word you want to use, platform, feature, talk to, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not even talking about necessarily uh, awful characters or not, although that's certainly part of it. But I just mean in that culture, if you're the subject of an interview and you know they're just there, they might ask you a couple of difficult questions, but not really. They're there to just kind of, you know, potentially lionize you um benefit from your existing celebrity if that's a thing that's already there whereas if you're in journalism 
which, you know, I haven't called myself that in a long time, but let's just say that there is a case for that. You know, you have to uphold like these standards about holding people of power to account. Dude, the influencer economy, which is only growing, is the opposite of that. They don't hold power to account. They use power to grow. They use someone else's power to, to influence you. They are the lens by which power is then re like refracted. It's the total opposite. Dude, if you're the subject of that and you've like done some fucked up shit or you've got a weird background or you just don't even want to deal with it, why on earth would you talk to someone who was trying to build an audience by asking pesky questions? A, the people who aren't asking pesky questions are going to grow much faster and you don't have to deal with any of that stuff. Dude, like the, the that's what I, I've, I said this before and people were like dismissing it. Okay, let's see who's right in 10 years. Dude, MMA media, I'm not saying they will altogether go away. But whatever is, le like, whatever is left of it now is a fraction of what it used to be. And what it's going to be in 10 years is going to be even less. Even less. Even less. So what I would say is for me, if you're asking like, um, you know, if I could write my ticket in 10 years, <laughs> doing relevant work is my answer. Ser I seriously fucking mean that. Because navigating all of these, and then media is changing at like a breakneck speed. So, you know, when I'm 54, who's going to want to hear my stupid ass opinions, right? Like, I, I just want to be in a place where I can contribute there. That's it. I don't, I think that is plenty good. If I can do relevant work in any year, I'm good. I'm good. That's it. Um, hey, by the way, look at that new member. Thank you, bro. Appreciate that. There we go. Happy to have you. Happy to have you. Oh, you didn't have to pay, but okay, I appreciate it. Congrats on starting the membership. I hope Othello and Ant get some of the sweet coin. Oh, yeah. Those fuckers are draining me. Don't think they're not. Uh, all right. When did the Frank, Mar Frank Martin fight fall apart? I guess a couple of weeks ago, or no, a week ago, something like that. I don't know what the fuck that's all about. Now, I'm going to reserve judgment until, uh, you know, maybe he has him fight Tank. Because if he fights Tank, I think that's fine. But I don't understand what happened there. You know, Frank Martin versus Shakur Stevenson is a great fight. And then they agree. Then the Frank, allegedly, we haven't heard so much from Frank's side. Frank gets sent the deal and then says, yeah, I actually don't want it. I don't know what that, I mean, if he's not fighting Tank, I don't know what that is other than not good, you know. Uh, okay, Lil Gloom. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you. Look at this. Super Dave, I think, uh, maybe upped his membership. I don't know. JP34, uh, thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Devon EDH, thank you. Appreciate you. Lil Zhao, <laughs> there we go. Uh, Will Bosch, I guess how you pronounce that. And then LLB Brooks. Uh, loving it. This is great, guys. Thank you so much. I'm so appreciative. All right. I felt DC was, uh, Daniel Cormier, hypocritical with his take saying Izzy didn't deserve a rematch considering DC and Stipe three-year mess of a trilogy at heavyweight uh maybe i don't remember the particulars of that but you might be right but at the same time is he wrong on the merits again guys i've been you know i'm sure he hates some of the things i've been saying more recently but um if he's even paid attention to it but about izzy but i have been a long time i just love i love his game you know the wasn't a great showing on saturday but in general i, I love his game and I would just be the first person to say that like, if you can't lose two out of three title fights, 
uh, and then the last of which quite decisively, and then expect to get a rematch. It just it's not it's not fair. It's just not fair. And if he was a challenger and some champion was doing that, I'd say the same thing. It's not fair. Yo, thank you, Bennett. Appreciate you, bro. Uh, Lil Gloom says, as a first friend and gifter, can a cat get a legacy icon? Ooh. Uh, Othello, make a note about that. Othello's watching. Othello, make a note about that. See what we can do. Uh, Lil Zhao says, are the holes that Strickland exploited in the fight a weakness that is Strickland inclusive? Or are there aspects that any contender can adopt to find success? No, they're not Strickland inclusive. But Strickland's answers uh, and the, the overall array of answers that Strickland had were good. Remember, Pereira beat him. Jan beat him. You know, there's checking his leg kicks takes like easier said than done. Much easier said than done. But if you've got some good refined checking system, it does a lot. It did a lot in the Jan fight. It did a lot in the Strickland fight. It did a lot in the first Pereira fight. It did a lot in the second Pereira fight, even though he lost. But like. Yeah, checking his kicks has huge page pays huge dividends. Huge. There we go. Beef Laman becoming a member. Appreciate you, dude. This is to Othman. How do you see Strickland? Oh no, I he whatever. Strickland versus Hamzat. I I, I don't. I want to see Hamzat's wrestling at one eighty five, and then we'll make a judgment call. All right. Could Strickland be the M? What? When questioned, journalist Erhawani said, "Who are you, and how did you get in my house?" I don't know what that I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> is this from some interview he did or something? I don't I don't I legitimately do not know what the fuck this is. Uh Sean Style was a great example of basics wins, champ fights, simple boxing, kickboxing, walk down. Flashy moves can be a double-edged sword. Sort of simple striking punch selection. Nothing simple about his defense. I mean it look simple. It's not simple. Well, okay, it is simple. It's not easy. It's very, very difficult to do that, to, to pull everything. I think when people say simple, yes, he's not doing anything wildly sophisticated in the convoluted sense. But again, I'm going to say it one last time, that feel is absurdly difficult. Absurdly. Uh, Post-breakup with toxic and unfaithful ex, all right. I found myself almost hating women in general. That's a bad idea. I think I remember you saying that you went through this before. Advice? Yeah, dude, if you're hating women, you're automatically in a place where you're uh, you're losing your mind. I mean, not like altogether, but guys, I've had this conversation before and, um, you know, listen, it's your choice. It is absolutely your choice. But I, as someone who has lived it, I'm looking right at the camera and I'm trying to tell you if you're a man of any age and you loathe women, um... Now, you might have the right to loathe one individual person, uh, man or woman, fine. I don't want to take issue with that. But if you just loathe a gender, the problem is you. The problem is you. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have a right to feel hurt or bitter or that these are not natural things. They certainly are. But I am trying to tell you when you really drill down into the rabbit hole of why it is because someone did something to you. Someone bad, perhaps. Uh, maybe someone not so bad, maybe someone you loved and something really bad happened to you and um, you're trying to process that and deal with that. That's fine. But I see so many, I see so many men being like, oh, women have all these advantages and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, guys, um, 
I will say that there are some unique challenges that men face in the world. That part is true. That part is very true. You know, when you see the numbers of um, the the share of who's getting college degrees and, you know, how much men are slowly kind of fading from that picture, you know, these are problems that that, that require serious uh, um real, real solutions and somebody who cares, you know, that's true too. But there's just also a lot of people who have experienced trauma or bad influences and they turn that into a personality or a worldview. And it's just bullshit. It's just bullshit. There is no argument for hating a gender. There is no case for it. There is no, it is nothing. It is nothing other than some kind of psychological profile, some kind of, um, it's some, it's some kind of, it, there are so many people in this industry who the world has lashed out at them and they have been lashed and then their response is to lash back out. That's the only thing they know. They have been, the world has kicked their ass, some version of it, and they're trying to get revenge. But you will not find any satisfaction, any real lasting permanent satisfaction from doing something like that. You will not find, he- there is no healing at the bottom of that, at the end of that road. It doesn't exist. Because you know how I know that? Because I fucking tried. I walked all of them. I had, through. I, I didn't realize it at the time. I can only look back on it now. But through my 20s and probably a good portion of my 30s as well, although it began to dissipate over time, um, and all my teens too, dude, I had the worst, the worst ideas about women, you know, and it was, it was bullshit. It was bullshit. And it caused all kinds of problems that didn't necessarily have to exist. That didn't have to be what they were. I didn't have to suffer through them in the way that I did. And it led to the formulation of my own worldview and my own ethos and my own ethical framework. All of it was fucking wrong. It's, there's, there's no there there. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. You are just hurt. And uh, so heal that. And, you know, when you get to a place in the world where, um, again, in any individual of any gender can be awful or great. I don't mean this. But what I like, someone said something to me once. And they were like, look at your phone and look at your podcasts and look at your books look at the authors and look at who you follow on Twitter, anything, anything, any kind of place where you're surrounding, like who is sending you messages. And if you're a guy, ask how many of them are women. Now I'm not one of these guys who's going to sit up here and tell you, you have to have a quota. You do not, but that's, that's also stupid. Like, I don't want you to do that. But what I would ask is that if you have all the people in the guy of all of the podcasts you listen to are just guys talking to you. And then all of your books are written by dudes and, you know, all of the influences that you absorb online, it's just guys. Um, It's not that, you know, again, oh, we need to replace that with one woman for that guy. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying to you is how did you get to a place where the only way in which you self-nurture is by hearing other male voices? Well, I know how you did that. (laughs) You curated a world where you silenced women. That's what you did. And why did you do that? Probably because you have some really fucked up ideas about them. You think that they're morally inferior. You think that they are not as bright. You think that they are harmful. You know, something. You think that they're 
And again, individuals can certainly be, you know, plenty uninteresting. But if you've gotten to a place where every voice that talks to you is a dude and you're a guy, you should reflect on that for a moment. Because that probably signals some other problem that you have that that is a symptom of. So, you know, I'm not telling you, well, I got to just put in a bunch of women podcasts and start listening to them. That's not my point. That's really the, that would, that would make things only worse. I'm not trying to drive quotas. What I'm asking people to do in this industry is reflect a little bit on how you got to a place where those are the prevailing factors around you. And I know this is going to fall on deaf ears. And I know there's going to be some people who take this in bad faith because that's just what happens in this industry. People are not really interested in the kind of messages that I just told you. But for the for the one person who might be, who this can be beneficial to, hopefully you can hear something here that I'm trying to reach out to. S- get some professional help. Work on your health. Take care of your men- take 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 care of your physical health. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your self care. But if you're at a place where you're just like hating at every member of a gender, the problem is you. The problem is you. <laughs> Luke's barber fund donation, dude. My barber is moving. I got to get a new one. They're moving to Hawaii for fuck's sake. Every time I get one, they just, they, they, they people in this city are so transient people because there's military here. And obviously there's everyone collect, you know, connected to any kind of political coalition or whatever. People just, they live here for a few years and then they go, I was just getting settled in and now I got to find another one. So like, what the fuck, man sucks. All right. Uh, there, Sarah, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, this person says, Luke, going to Cartagena for the first time with the wife for four days at the end of the month. Okay, great. What would you recommend doing Oof, with four days? I know it's hurricane season. Do you think it's still a good time to visit? Well, it, may, it might rain. You're not going to get hit with a hurricane there. It's, it, that's the worst problem that you'll have is that there'll just be a lot of rain. Okay, uh, what should you see? What should you see? Um, the island, the Rosario Islands or Baru. You can go see those islands by boat. You could take a sunset tour off of the uh, right next to the convention center. There's a bunch of boats you can go and find. Um, that would be a great thing to do. I would take a walking tour. I would not do a bike tour. I would not do a Segway tour. I would not do a fucking, um, like, don't get on any vehicle. Just get on your feet. Take a walking tour. There's a million of them. Find them on TripAdvisor. I would do that. So the Rosario Islands, you can go to um, Rosario, Baru. What's the other one I went to? Um, Makani. There's another one you can go to. These are like really nice. You can go check those out. Um, so that's what you can definitely do. You can go see uh, Palenque, which was the first city in the Americas where the slaves revolted and found their own. Um, the first, I think the first, is it the first African slave colony that revolted? I know that uh, Haiti would be the one that like formed a nation, but I think this was like the first city that did it. Palenque. It's where the palenqueras come from. These are black ladies who carry like the fruit on their head. They're like a famous symbol of Cartagena. You can go see the city if you want. They have a they have a volcano you can go to. I think it's super touristy and bullshit, but it's uh, up to you. You can go and they they'll give you a mud bath, whatever. The Castillo de San Felipe, the the castle there that the, uh, the Spanish built in the 16th century, is fucking remarkable. You can go check that out. So there's just a million things to see. Do not go to the public beaches of Boca Grande. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. So you can go to the beaches at La Boquilla, but not on Boca Grande. Um, don't don't do that shit. Um, so places to eat, fuck, dude. Uh, Juan del Mar, um, La Cevicharia, um, Cande. Cande will blow your fucking socks off. Cande, you're gonna need reservations at Cande. Um, 
um, if you wanted to get some good shopping in, you can go to La Sierra Suela, which was like an old bullfighting ring that they converted into a mall. But I've tried to tell folks like the malls in Colombia are different. Like they're still really nice and people go to them and you can get cool shit there. Um, so there's that. There is, oh, um, um, fuck, what's that other place that we go to that we love? What the fuck is the name of it? Um, I mean, that'll get you started. You can email me for more, but that, that'll put you in a good spot. That'll put you in a real good spot. All right. Someone says, oh, whoops. Uh, could uh, Izzy benefit from a better clinching game? Since people know how to cut him off, put forward pressure on him. Yes, he has one. He just hasn't used it in a while. But yes, thank you, Marcus. I appreciate it. What the fuck is that, that restaurant that we... Oh, here's another one you can go to. Last one. Evie. E-V-Y. On, that is on Boca Grande. E-V-Y. Or, no, sorry. Not Evie. Ellie, E L Y, sorry, E L Y. Amazing, amazing foods where all the locals go. Check that place out. All right. Um, okay. Yes, we got to that one. Izzy's lack of response to the dog and the China stuff at the presser was reliant on him dominating Sean. How damaging was this whole week for him? I, I mean, people kept asking. I, I don't even understand what the China argument is. He went and competed in China and said nice things about China. Like, did he say, in particular, nice things about the Chinese government. I mean, maybe he did. I don't. I don't know. That would be one thing. But if he went to China and said nice things about China, who gives a fuck? <laughs> who gives a fuck? If he went and praised the communist regime, okay, we can have a different conversation. But if he just went there and said, "Yay, China," I don't give it. I don't. I mean, people are losing sleep over this shit. For what? Because he said nice things about Chinese people. Who gives a fuck? Oh, we flew the Chinese flag. I, I don't. I don't care. I don't really think that that's. You know, whatever. And again, going back to the dog thing, yeah, okay, we've been over this. It was gross and weird. But, you know, people acting like he committed some fucking heinous crime that, like, he should be locked up for. It was gross and weird. I'm not changing anything I said about it. But, you know, was it, like, deeply damaging? I think I think people are, like, over... I think, in general, people have been looking to take Izzy down a peg for a while because he's an unusual guy. And this is what they've kind of latched onto. Like, you know, how much it's hurt his stock, you can debate that. I don't think it's all that much. And I think, again, I especially think that if all he's ever done was like go to China and say nice things vaguely about China, who could possibly give a shit? Uh, all right, Fofo. Appreciate you, bro, or lady, whoever this might be. Luke, with Grasso, O'Malley, and Strickland and Hill recently becoming champions, this is a new era where boxing heavy fire. Yeah, I think boxing in general is becoming much more important and boxing range guys not being able to keep people at kickboxing range is a is a big deal now you make you have to be careful about being hittable strickland obviously has worked on a lot of the defense of that but yes i would agree that that has the the importance of boxing is only growing only growing would you agree that sean not putting izzy out in the first round was better for his legacy yes and how people view his win yes his win can't be labeled a lucky punch absolutely no doubt about it. Beat them thoroughly, fairly, fair and square, 100%. Is boxing visually more appealing than MMA? Well, you you don't have to look through the cage, if that's what you mean. Uh, that's a matter of preference. I like both. Um, but not having to look through the cage is kind of big. All right, Izzy is kick-heavy, yes. Poetan has great combination boxing, to an extent, and a body jab, yes. This is a big factor because Sean parries with his hands, as you showed. 
Do you think this was lost in the pre-fight dialogue? Yes, big time. Now, but again, you go back to the Poetan fight, and I'm telling you, go watch it. Sean just follows. He doesn't cage cut at all. He cage cut in this one, so he cleaned up some of the things that got him into trouble with that one, which isn't to say that Poetan wouldn't win if they fought again. I'm just sort of pointing out um, some of the pressure was much more refined this time. Okay, I don't even know what this means. So in the just to save myself further embarrassment, I'm just going to like leave it up and say I don't know what the fuck he's asking. I appreciate the, the five pound. I don't know what that, I don't know what this is in reference to. So no Dennis Paul fight companion. Uh, we'll do something for that. You're asking like what the next fight companion was. We'll probably do something for this one because that's going to be fun and, and stupid, right? Can you please have the bottom graphic move to the side or make it a watermark? Yeah, we'll tighten it up. We're just playing with this one, but we'll tighten it up for the next one. Yes. Luke, do you agree with me uh, in that a lot of MMA strikers still throw their punches too wide? Oh, my God, yes. Against boxers, they would get lit up. Yes. Yes, dude, the mechanics aren't nearly as clean in MMA striking as it is, again, in general. It's not nearly, nearly as clean. Uh, Sampras writes, how do you see Sean's MMA Philly shell stack up against the other middleweight challenges? Styles make fights. So assuming that they're thank you for the thank you for the question and the donation. Assuming they're not trying to take him down, I would say well, I'd really well. Um, but there's gonna be answers to that too. They're gonna fade to the open side. Are they gonna clinch with him? Are they gonna make him like there's there are striking answers? It's not like because Izzy couldn't do it, nobody can do it. That's not really that's not right. It's just that if Izzy can't do it, it must be hard to do. But it can be done. It can be done. So um I would have to see what DDP comes with, you know. Um, but I, I, somebody will break through on it. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. It's just that is in that particular night, Izzy was out of ideas. Oh Jesus! What kind of a question is this? Do I support trans surgeries if they are allowed in the name of parental child consent? Can you answer? I mean, are we really doing doing this? Like, this is what you guys want to do? God, you guys are obsessed with some of the most like. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I appreciate the donation. I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not doing that today. Not, not today, not today, not doing it today. Who do you think the face of MMA is? In my opinion, it's Charles. It's Dana White. I mean, you can like it or hate it, but it's Dana White. <laughs> it's Dana White. Dana White is the face of MMA. And that's, you know, I don't think in any way accidental. It's Dana White. Look, I drive 30K miles a year. God damn. I love the breakdowns and appreciate the job you do. I'm 42 and I have 13 years plus of jujitsu and boxing under my belt. Good job. I think injuries happen because too many people overtrain. Just my thought. Could be. Could be. 30 miles a year. God damn, dude. I, I've had my car since 2015 and I've got barely 40,000 on it. But uh, yes, certainly over. Everyone's body is going to be different. Like I've come. Oh, I want to. I want to. Oh, you know what? Okay. Othello, make a note. We got to play the Craig Jones video next week. We're going to play it next week. We're going to play it next week. Um, Sean is not, as Kenny writes, Sean is not a cerebral fighter. He's an instinct-based, lacks adaptability. Beat him by mixing it up. A rounded fighter gives him a lot of trouble. I don't think that's crazy. I think it's a little bit disparaging. Um, but I do think he is instinct-based. Yes, everything he has done is like muscle memory. So that's why it's second nature. That's why he can flow into it. 
Have you watched the HBO telemarketing doc? No. Also, what movies have stood out to you lately? I have not. Oh, God. What did I see? What did I see? Aside from that, I saw. I told you guys about the Ninja Turtles one because I saw that with my daughter. Um, oh, what was the other one? God damn it. What was the name of it? It was like a Finnish John Wick. Like it, they, they were, they were from Finland. What was the name of it? It was like super violent, but like great. Fucking hell! What the fuck was the name of that? I can't remember. You look it up. It's like fin, the Google like Finland John Wick or whatever it is. It was really fun, really fun. Uh, thank you, Josh. Appreciate you. All right, what was more surprising to you? The way Izzy lost to Strickland, or the way Sp- no Spence losing the way he did to Crawford was more surprising. Much more. Thank you, Jeeps. <laughs> this person writes, Luke. Sean surviving two title defenses. Ooh. I'm going to say no. I think that the parody in the division, dude, if, it, dude, even Izzy can't survive two title defenses over three fights. You know what I mean? So, no, I think I think that hand that that, that title's going to change hands a lot. That in middle, that in uh, 205. Thank you, Jeeps. Appreciate you, bro. Um, to clarify basics, but at a high level, my bad. Oh, yes, yes. And you didn't have to leave another donation, but thank you. Um, I think Hava, Hava. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but that's a cool name. All right. Luke, no idea how to become a member, but I'll join the LT Army as soon as I figured out how. I love your deadlift shirt. <laughs> Where did you get it? Rogue. Rogue Fitness sells it. You get a Rogue website. Rogue website. And then you just hit the join button underneath this video if you want to do that. All right. Was McGregor the best counter striker in UFC? One of them. He was more than just a counter-striker, but he was one of them. Yes, he had very, very good counter-striking, yes. His pull-two counter was the best in MMA. I'm not smart enough to have any questions, but I appreciate you. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. All right. Do you see any similarities with Ovechkin and Habib? Dominant with short-term cup history, clear strength and goal-scoring wrestling and ties to Russia. I think the Ovechkin and Habib overlap is a little forced, but I can see some. Good book, Rex, regarding pro-doping arguments. Yeah, it's when we go over every time. It's always on my desk. It's not pro-doping as much as it is uh, rethinking some of the restrictions around anti-doping, but this is where you should start. You should start here. The Anti-Doping Crisis in Sport, Causes, Consequences, and Solutions by Paul DeMio, a Scottish uh, uh, academic, and then Werner Muller, who I think is also Finnish, if memory, or maybe Danish. I'm not sure. One of the two. Um, but those are where you should be. Heard you were a fan of MK11. You're gonna play MK1. Um, yeah, I guess I haven't I haven't thought about it yet, but I probably will. Yeah. La, I think I've gotten over MMA. Been a fan since 2012, but too much has happened that's made me lose interest. Thought I'd give a few dollars for all the entertainment you provided me. I'm, I'm telling you guys, I get messages like that every week. Every week, I see people like question my fandom, and I'm like, guys, I've been around long enough to know that I'm I've been here much longer than the majority of people watching, and I'm gonna be here probably much later than anyone watching now, in all likelihood, in all likelihood. Like people questioning my fandom, I'm like, dude, get go fuck your. Not that this person did, but you know, the other folks out there, go fuck yourself. You have no idea what you're talking about. You will be gone long before I am, and many people already are. 
but but like pe- people should really reflect on why it's the case why it's the case that so there is so much churn in mma an absolute shit ton i've never seen anything like it i've never seen another sport that has churn like this one where you get huge waves and then huge exoduses or i should say a steady trickle of an exodus over time just it's crazy um, good books to read to understand right left wing belief systems more in depth dude I, I I would um I don't even really engage in that kind of stuff uh I would say um oh I've got a good one um so you're not going to like a lot of it, and it's not exactly what you're asking, but this one, The New Class War, Saving Democracy from the Managerial Elite by Michael Lind. He's a professor, I believe, out of Texas. Um, yes, he is the he, he has taught at Harvard and Johns Hopkins and is the current professor of practice at the Lyndon B. Johnson School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. He's a fellow at New America as well. This is not exactly what you're talking about, like it delineates the belief of the left or delineates the belief of the right, but rather um, that both of them exist at the intersection of what he calls the managerial elite versus the you know mercantilist and other versions of it, and uh, what the real fault lines of class struggle in he's 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 nominally right wing but what the real fault lines of actual class struggle look like and what the pernicious effects of them are you should read that one it will help you understand a little bit more about kind of what's happening uh sean laid in on china thing because what he said to ddp oh about like you're not even from there I don't know. Are we at the point now? We I do. I love Spain. Is this a crime? I'm not. I'm not saying I love the Inquisition. I'm not saying I love the monarchy. I just think Spain is great. Like, you know, I don't. I, I mean, this is not LeBron James being like, well, I don't know about you know. You know, I, I'm going to keep my mouth shut about Chinese government and then say a lot of other things that were bad about domestic politics for business interests. Like, I, I'm not. I'm not. You know. Or forget even him, Disney being like, "Hey, thanks to the uh, the government in the province that how that warehouses all of the Uyghur Muslims and has committing crimes against them. Thanks for letting us shoot the live action Mulan there. You know, uh, that's not to me the same thing as being like, "Hey, I went visit. You know, I visited and worked in China for a while, and I really enjoyed it. Like, I you know, I don't again. I'm not. I don't. There are so many stupid ass culture war battles that are happening in anime. I try not to pay attention to them." You know, if he was praising the government, then fine. We can have a conversation about it. But if he just said nice shit about China, like, who cares? Why is the boxing audience cooler than the MMA audience? I don't know that they are. Boxing, they got A-list star sport figures while MMA fans get Guy Fieri. <laughs> well, Theo Vaughn's funny. But, uh, well, boxing gets more athletes and it gets has a closer connection to... That's not totally true. But, you know, again, dude, I, you guys hate it when I break it down this way, but it's just the obvious. The vast majority of MMA fans are white and the vast majority of boxing fans are black and Latino. That's kind of how it breaks down very strongly along those lines. And, um, you know, you're just going to get a lot more, 
Um, and also boxing is like older institution, but you're going to get like, you know, why do like, why does, why do rappers, for example, who have close ties to various boxers show up? I mean, it's because these cultures are much more overlapping and integrated. Um, this person writes, look, the one piece is real, highly recommended the Magna Anna. You guys, I'm a 44 year old man. I'm not above anime, but do you think I have time for it? Did you buy the new Mortal Kombat one? Not yet. It is lit. Oh shit. All right. Also is Izzy on the decline. And, uh, is that Sean style pose difficult? I think you can be a little bit of, I think again, his offense has narrowed. I think is the best way to look at it. Austin writes, look, just wondering if there's any truth to the UFC's new pay-per-view model, more of a boxing pay-per-view where you only pay for one big fight. Seems that way. Guys, what happens when there's a monopoly in an industry? Like, what happens? Right? So this is saying it broadly. But once you already own the market, there's not much you can really do to improve it. Like, you've got it. You know? You the there's not internally there's just not nearly the same effort at product but what there is is probably a huge amount of effort at generating and extracting sources of revenue and wealth that's what happens every time like you have a monopoly that that's that's what happens right so like look at all the changes that are happening do they seem like those are changes that make cards better and the fan experience better like like you know a good main event and then kind of watered down from there and again 280 294 is going to be good um so this is not a universal thing but you're seeing it more and more in general and you know the cheapest ticket the cheapest ticket for the Madison Square Garden one is $900 like what does that tell you and then making this decision like to, to form TKO and they're going to do all this stuff like what are all those decisions based around are they based around making the actual MMA product better or are they based around extracting wealth because of the dominant control in the industry? This is what happens in any industry where one firm has this kind of control. The product is, you know, they can't, they're, they're not, they don't have any impetus to make it any better. They already own, they own it. They own every version of what it could be. But what there is a shitload of interest in is extracting wealth. So that's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. Do you think the overwhelming uh, right-wing presence in MMA can turn away new view? No. I th- oh, well, yes. But um, I think it, I think that, yeah, there's definitely going to be people who look at it and like, uh, you know, they don't, they don't enjoy it. But it's also going to be a recruitment tool as well for the people who do see it as a like-minded worldview. So on the one hand, it will drive some away, but like you just look at the community, you know, way more people disagree with me than agree with me. Like, and I, I know that I, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. Like it's, it's a broad community out there of mostly like-minded people with the occasional folk like me who are a little bit different. Um, so is it turning away people? I'm sure on some level it is, yes, but it's also a recruitment tool to, it's, it's a self-selection tool, you know? So uh, and I think there's been not quite a, a union. That's not quite right. But like you do see uh, right wing media cover UFC from a, a prism that they uh, look at it through uh, quite favorably. And they have given it quite favorable coverage. And um, 
I think that that's going to like funnel people in who may have otherwise, you know, they've kind of, UFC has kind of positioned itself as like, oh, if the NBA is going to be woke, we're going to be the anti-woke sport. That's going to drive away some people. That's going to recruit a bunch more. It's just going to get more people who are alike together. So like, I don't know if it lowers or raises the overall aggregate amount, but what I can tell you is that the complexion of the audience, it homogenizes it to a degree, to a degree. Dana is pissed at Jared Gordon for trying to fight with an injury and then pissed at DDP for not fighting because he's injured. Yeah, I mean, you know, what? I mean, he's a promoter, dude. That's what promoters do. Does Rob beat Sean? Ooh. I think he could. It'd be tough, but he could do it. Yes, he could. He could. Look, has a fighter ever asked you to help them break down a fight of another fighter? Yes, they have. Many times. Many times. If not, would you do it if you were asked? Well, I'm at the stage now where I like if a UFC or Bellator one did it, I would probably have some reservations about it. Um, UFC fighters have asked me before; that has absolutely happened. Um, but I get more commonly these days. I get like amateurs reaching out or like low level pros, uh, not low level, but like you know up and coming pros, and I'm happy to do that. I don't I don't have as much of a hang up. But like once you get to the UFC, I'm like helping them game plan. I'm like. Eh. I don't, I don't feel very comfortable doing that. It would, t- it would take a lot for me to help someone like that, you know. Uh, this person says, want to say I appreciate your work. All the best from Poland. Yeah, Poland's great. I've been to Poland. I've been to Krakow. Krakow, however you pronounce it. Dude, the Polish are some of the friendliest people in Europe, especially to Americans. Holy shit. Two thumbs up for Poland. Thank you to Lydian84. I appreciate that. Uh, Left W, A Theory of Justice. Oh, left-wing book, A Theory of Justice, Right-Wing, Capitalism, and Freedom. Yes, you could do it that way. You could do John Rawls, um, or you could do Nozick, you know. There's a lot of different things you could do. Sure. Uh, What do you think of Leon Edwards' path to a title fight compared to Darren Till's? I mean, Darren Till got it a lot quicker, but he didn't have the requisite skill set, so who gives a shit, you know? Sisu, Yes! Jesus Christ, I remembered it because it was the same name as the dragon from um, the Disney movie, Raya and the Last Dragon. The dragon's name is Sisu. Yes, Sisu. This is like the finished John Wick. Guys, you will love this movie. It's gory as shit, uh, but it's fun as hell. Really fun. Go see it. Yes, fuck me. That's why I could not remember that. Ugh. There you go. All right. Netflix One Piece LA is good and not too long. Okay. All right, I'm not going to watch it, but I, there you go. Very good. All right, everyone, it's like a two-hour chat. I've had enough. I think you probably have as well. Hey, thank you so much for everyone who signed up for the uh, chat, for the um, for the membership. You don't have to. Again, you want to take it all in free. That's cool, too, but if you want to support, it goes a long way. Trust me. Also, if you guys don't like this wrap, we can get another one. We can change it all up however you want. There's lots of things we can do, but I appreciate you being here. You can email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. Oh, wait, there's one more. I'll get one more here. Two more quickly. DraftKings fan will have perfected a more analytical scoring system for MMA fights. Why doesn't the UFC adopt a similar one? The UFC can't. It would be the commission. The UFC cannot judge their own fights. Uh, and then lastly, all of Rob's Xmases came at, came at w- once with Sean's win. Oh, oh. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching. I'm out of here. Catch MK tomorrow. Until then, stay frosty, y'all. Peace. I'm out. Bye.